0: Hello, and welcome to the How To Academy podcast, the bi-weekly show from London's home of big thinking. I'm Vas Christodoulou. Our guest on this episode, Curtis Sittenfeld, has been hailed as one of America's greatest new novelists. Her first book, Prep, captured life in a privileged boarding school with unnerving precision. Subsequent novels include The Man of My Dreams, Eligible, American Wife, Sisterland, and Rodham, an alternative history reimagining the life of Hillary Clinton. Her latest novel, Romantic Comedy, focuses on a comedy writer for The Night Owls, a fictionalised Saturday Night Live, as she tackles frustrated love, sexism, celebrity and lockdown, all with Sittenfeld's trademark warmth and intelligence. She joined Esme Bright to speak about the book, romantic comedies and contemporary culture.
1: Curtis, it is such a pleasure to speak to you. Thank you so much for giving me your time since reading your latest book, I've had questions whizzing around my mind. And you've earned a name for yourself as one of America's greatest new novelists. I'm sure lots of listeners will be familiar with your previous work, Prep, American Wife, Eligible, and Rodham. But for anyone who hasn't read the new book, I was wondering if you'd be good enough to just briefly outline the plot before we get started on a big deep dive.
2: Yes. Um. First, thank you. Thank you for having me on the podcast. Um. So the premise is that there's a woman named Sally who for nine years has worked at a late night sketch comedy show in New York and she's professionally successful and confident. She's, she's essentially sort of given up on romance. She was married and divorced in her twenties. She's now in her late thirties. And so she, and she has a sort of hookup partner, but not much more than that. And she writes a sketch making fun of the phenomenon of male comedians Essentially, dating up or dating gorgeous, super famous, super talented female actors or musicians who appear as guests on the show, but it it, it never happens that female comedians date smoking hot male celebrities or you know female comedy writers. Uh, and so she makes a, a, writes a sketch making fun of this, and then that week, the guest host and the musical guest. Is a very successful pop singer named Noah who perhaps challenges her her assumptions. And it's definitely the show is based on Saturday Night Live, where this phenomenon does of, of the sort of talented but perhaps semi-ordinary man dating celebrity goddesses does exist as a pattern on SNL. There's um it's it's a humorous book, but it's also kind of about comedy and gender
1: politics and art and there's a lot to tease out that I want to go into but first I think it makes sense to just start with the title. So your last book Rodham was sort of having a conversation with history and I think this book is having a conversation with genre and an industry and specifically obviously romantic comedies as the title would suggest and I was wondering what is your own relationship with romantic comedies?
2: Well I'm certainly a fan. Um, So You know, I, 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 it's funny because whatever this comes up, I think, are we talking about books or movies or both? But I mean, I, I read romances from the age of probably like 10 or 12. I also, it happens, watched Saturday Night Live from about the same age. And I was born in 1975. So I was in high school or college in the, early to mid-90s during kind of a golden age of romantic comedies and saw a lot of movies like Notting Hill or When Harry Met Sally in the theatre, you know, at a a young, impressionable age. So I'm certainly a fan of romantic comedies.
1: But there's a bit in the book when Sally and Noah are talking and they kind of unpack the rom-com because Sally says that she wants to write rom-coms, but she defends herself... And like, kind of defends the rom-com explaining, "Oh, but I want to write good ones." And I kind of wondered if you shared that feeling of the needing to defend the genre of like books and and art about romance and
2: women and comedies. I mean, she says to Noah, "I want to write feminist, non-condescending romantic comedies, and she means screenplays for movies. I mean, I do I think there are some mm. examples. Where they feel like they were really cynically written and sort of like, "Oh, if there's a couple who ultimately ends up kissing, that's enough we don't We don't really need to do any other work, but i don't i I do not perceive myself as like subverting the genre of romance or romantic comedy, like the genre has already subverted itself before me, and there's lots going on. I think that people. People who aren't familiar with romance or romantic comedy, I, I think, think it's all one thing, but it's actually a lot of things in terms of, you know, queer romances and, you know, romances about people of color and, you know, fantasy. And I mean, yeah, it's it's also interesting because I will say, as a writer, I don't think in terms of genre, but there. The, you know, like genre is more like a, a marketing kind of categorizing, but I think almost every genre of romance exists, like, you know, science fiction and aliens and Amish religious romance. I mean, there's everything is out there. So it's not, I, I do not, I, I hope that I've done like my goal was to write kind of like a happy, fizzy, fun story about these particular characters like to do a good job of what I'm doing. I don't think that I'm like blazing a new trail in in romance or rom-com.
1: I think you're right. You're not subverting it as well, but I also really appreciated the fact that you don't make fun of it as a genre and it's not, you also didn't kind of Trojan horse the fact that you've got a romantic line in your novel by calling it something different. I think the fact that you called it romantic comedy is quite, perfect really um but it's also interesting writing a novel because as you say you know it's like marketed as it's a genre for a, for marketing purposes but you don't actually have to follow the same rules whereas while if we're just talking about cinema you know romantic comedies do often follow certain rules even in their own subsets and i was interested i wanted to know how did you find approaching that how did you balance wanting to interrogate the rules and also look at the structures behind it, because your your character is a screenwriter, while also not instinctively following them or not falling into the same patterns? You know, did you ever have any push and pull with that?
2: So I actually, for all my books, I think in terms of plot which I might surprise some people because they're not that plotty I mean there it's like people kind of going about their lives but it's not like crazy like aliens have landed or like a murder has happened like there's not that kind of external sort of suspense there's romantic like will they kiss suspense but there's uh, but anyway I do think in terms of like this happens then this happens then this happens and I also think in terms of character like who is this person, you know, what are their personality traits, what are their habits of behavior? Why are they like this? Like, are they, you know, what happened in terms of their family upbringing? What happened in terms of their, their earlier experiences in their adult life? And I really can sincerely say, I did not think, you know, am I checking or not checking off this trope of romance or romantic comedy? Like, I just, I didn't feel, I mean, it, Maybe I should have felt more this way, but I didn't feel like, oh, there are rules I need to either comply with or break. I just thought, like, how can I tell this specific story about these specific characters?
1: But I think it's interesting that you approach it like that because Sally, your character, is very aware of those structures and tropes. Like, she references lampshading at one point and she also references a trope that's kind of coming out that I wanted to ask you about, which is the sort of messy millennial woman trope. To quote yourself back to you, she says, um, another of my pet peeves is that the female characters used to be all sort of cutesy, like having flour on their nose after they bake cookies and not knowing it. And now they're all a mess, like waking up really hungover and getting fired. I want to create characters who aren't flawless, but also aren't ridiculously incompetent at life. And I'm glad you did bring that up because I think it's very true that there is this proudly flawed heroine trope which is actually becoming a bit of a reductive stereotype so I wanted to know your thoughts on that and how you feel about it.
2: Well I think what Sally is describing is a real phenomenon I mean it's funny because of course sometimes when my characters express their opinions they also by coincidence are expressing my opinions and then sometimes they're not and in fact sometimes when two two characters have an argument and they're disagreeing with each other. They're both expressing my opinions and I'm yeah, in disagreement with myself. So, I mean, I do think that what she's describing, you know, I think probably all of us can think of examples of that, but, but I would say, you know, I think that like, I don't, I don't see, uh, even though the book is called romantic comedy, it has meta aspects. I don't think. I feel I I see it as a celebration of rom-coms more than like an analysis of them or an argument about them just because you know there's such a like fine line when you're writing fiction of how how much it works or doesn't work to make a sort of factual argument and I think you have to, as a writer, tread very lightly because there comes a point where if you if if what I really want to say is like, you know, this is the state of the romantic comedy. I would do better to write an essay than to write a novel just because like we, we look to novels for like a story and for characters and for emotion. And that's pretty different from, like, logic and arguments and and opinions. I mean, they all sort of coexist, but the proportions are different.
0: This episode of the podcast is sponsored by Marquee TV. Marquee TV is an incredible streaming service that is a gateway to arts and culture. With my subscription, I've enjoyed watching some of the Royal Shakespeare Company's most acclaimed productions of recent years including David Tennant in Richard II, and Simon Russell Beale in The Tempest. I've seen multiple productions of The Ring Cycle, and Thelonious Monk playing in Brussels in 1963. I've watched Alice in Wonderland at the Royal Opera House, and Giselle at La Scala. Marquee TV really is the most accessible way into culture I've ever encountered, and a treasure trove for any arts lover. You can try it for three months for just 99p. Yep, three months for 99p, with the code how to just visit marquee.tv and use the promo code how to to dive into the world of the arts like never before
1: but also you know for all of the like schmaltz that people use to denigrate rom-coms they they celebrate connection and the idealism of love and for one thing i think there's something noble in that but also you know your book is also about two people and their connection and their characters and so I think you're it's a good thing to sort of actually celebrate humanity as opposed to using one art form as a way to kind of just interrogate another but there's naturally some you know crossover in the Venn diagram between the two but there's something in what you're saying as well about how people do denigrate rom-coms partly because they're often aimed at women and there's one point when Sally and Noah are having this conversation and I wonder if this is partly a conversation that you then have experienced in your own head which is when Sally says that there are younger writers coming into writer's room with a more fluid perception of gender and therefore the line between what's like a female and male topic aren't really such an issue and I find that interesting I mean do you think that that's true and she's obviously talking about comedy and I wonder do you think that that's applying to other forms of art nowadays
2: I do think it's true and I do think it form it applies to other forms of art and I think it's really interesting I mean I I, I do feel something that I have in common like I, I I definitely Sally is not a stand-in for me you know she's yeah she's a writer and I'm a writer um she's younger than I am but um Something that Sally says that actually is also true for me is that she writes from a point of confusion. And I was I would add curiosity, like confusion and curiosity, more than clarity. So so that's also part of why I don't usually feel like I'm trying to make a specific argument. And even you know, I wrote the book Rodham, which was this alternate, you know, life of Hillary Clinton. And of course, like of course, I have thoughts about the 2016 election in the US. And but I I feel like a a lot of the driving question behind that book is like, what the hell happened? You know, like, like, how did we arrive at this point? It wasn't like, sexism is bad for America. I mean, of course, it's self evident that sexism is bad for America. But and and I think the same thing with the rom-com, like, it's like, Uh, yeah, I have, it is, I have questions about, you know, gender and sexism and feminism, but I don't, I don't think I get to a point of clarity and resolution and then start writing. I think I start writing, you know, while grappling with the questions.
1: But I think that's definitely true. And I can, I can understand that, but it's also, you've chosen to write a book about someone who exists in like a male dominated Workplace and who also is kind of justifying wanting to work in a field that is often denigrated for the fact that it's angled at women and also there's kind of a whole other culture in publishing about chick lit and I know I I read that you once said to Hadley Freeman that you thought that in general novels by men are taken more seriously than by women and so I'm sort of wondering you've been working as a novelist for a long time and I just wondered if you thought that that was still the case or whether you think that culturally these industries are changing, whether it's publishing or filmmaking and stuff?
2: That's a good question. I I do think, so my first novel came out 18 years ago. And 18 years ago, if there was some big literary prize and all the nominees were women, I think it would have, you know, inspired lots of cultural conversation and debate. And I think if that were the case today, it wouldn't. So I think that probably is some form of, uh, you know, progress.
1: Going back to the book a bit more, part of the book is set during the pandemic. And I wonder, do you do you have any reservations about writing about that period?
2: Uh, I mean, so I, I think that, you know, the obviously the pandemic happened and to some extent yeah. is still <laughs> happening. And so if you are a writer who writes relatively realistic fiction, if you're going to set it in or after 2020 you have to make some sort of decision like I guess do you not acknowledge it at all because it's a parallel universe do you acknowledge it minimally do you really focus on it and in some ways I think that like I sort of you know the the pandemic was so has has been so difficult and I think so you know isolating and in a way, I think, I think fiction gave me the opportunity to kind of make something good come of it for these specific characters and make them find connection, which for a lot of people is like the opposite of their experience of the pandemic. But um, I mean, I do think there's a phenomenon of people reevaluating their lives or their priorities during or because of the pandemic. And I think that that ends up being true for these characters. So, uh, you know, Like, life always has darkness and lightness or sort of, like, you know, sweetness and difficulty. And that's certainly true for the characters in this book.
1: Well, it also works well as a plot device because, as you said, people kind of reevaluate their life and grapple with their insecurities, which is very much what Sally is doing at that time. But also the novel becomes a series of email exchanges and Sally's a writer, so she can be quite different over those exchanges since she can in person so it also makes sense from a from a plot point but I think um it was quite odd as a reader to go back to it because I think for some people a lot of it seemed like a bit of a bad dream and reading about hand sanitizer and masks and you know yeah, freedom of movement. Yeah. and I wondered during edits did you ever find it odd to go back to it or because you've been living through this story writing it it was less maybe jarring for you than it would be for some readers
2: Well, I started writing the book in the summer of 2021. And I do think, you know, obviously, this is now almost two years ago. So even I think even by the time I started writing, it it was a different moment. Like, actually, the, the point when I started writing was when, you know, a lot of people had been vaccinated, but we had just then had the realization that you can get breakthrough infections. And especially in the US, there had been this sort of you know, prominent examples. And so, it was sort of like, oh, like we did get the vaccines, but they didn't do quite what we hoped they would do. And yeah, I mean, certainly the pandemic has had different moments. And it's, I don't, I think it might be an overstatement to say I was writing historical fiction, but <laughs> I, I do think it's my job as a writer. You know, it's like if I'm going to set something in the 80s, I'll probably make use of like 80s music or 80s clothing. And if I said something early in the pandemic, like I think the, the preoccupations of that time and sort of, you know, wondering if you're supposed to like wipe down food that you buy at the grocery store or, you know, like maybe maybe you're wearing a cloth mask and not like a medical grade mask. God, yeah, even you just saying that brings back <laughs> his memories.
1: But also you're, you're a writer and you said you kind of wanted to write something good as well out of it and one of the things that did happen during Covid is that book sales hugely spiked and the publishing landscape has changed quite a lot especially with higher sales in like what what's branded as YA or popular fiction and I think partly it might have been because it's kind of people wanted comfort and escapism like fantasy sales really went up but I also wondered as an author and as a writer what you think about the fact that the publishing industry after covid has really boomed in that way i think some people wonder if it's that people enjoy books where the stakes are slightly lower than they are in real life and kind of what it was like writing again during that time when people are interested in slightly less of the like literary fiction that they were before maybe
2: I mean, it's so, it's hard to like, to kind of, for me, it's hard to sometimes wrap my head around publishing trends because I certainly interact with individual readers and, and people, a lot of people will say, oh, this was so fun to read. And I'll say, you know, wonderful that my goal was to write a fun book. Like, I think, I think that, you know, I'm not, I'm not a publishing executive. I'm a writer. So I can, it doesn't, it doesn't surprise me that people are looking for maybe lighter or more escapist reading. And I think the same thing that motivates a reader to seek that out is what motivated me as a writer to to write in that kind of setting or, or that kind of tone where, I mean, I actually started another book. So after I wrote Rodham, which I think was like a pretty serious, ambitious, long book that required a lot of research I I thought, like, I want to write a short, fun book. And I started another book and worked on it for about eight months and had the realization that, that it was neither short nor fun and set it aside. And a few months later started this. And, you know, like, as a reader myself, like, I'll certainly read dark serious books but I often don't want to read them before bed because either I have trouble sleeping or I have bad dreams and I think I wanted to write a book that you can read before bed and kind of it's not going to make you feel worse about everything if anything it's going to it's going to give you sort of sweet romantic happy feelings and you know different I think different books can serve like different you know roles in a person's life but yeah i it was definitely my goal to write something kind of like like almost like a comfort read or like a a fizzy fun escapist happy read oh well, you've definitely succeeded fizzy
1: fizzy is the right word for it but um another thing that i wanted to ask you about because obviously the sally is interested in like structuring comedy and she writes really good sketches like specifically for some of her actor friends on the show because they'll really shine in those sort of situations but going back to our idea of like messy heroines and the trends of who's sort of becoming the main character is this other weird trend that came out of the pandemic was the concept of main character
2: energy and I wondered are you familiar with that? Um, I think I'm sort of familiar with it I'm not on TikTok and I'm actually not on instagram so what would you no. it's, it's like it's sort of like are you the star of your own life like is that yeah the gist it's of like
1: it? it was this weird trend on tiktok and instagram where people post content where they're the main character of a film of their own life it's like the world is magically conspiring in their favor they're like cycling around with tulips in a tote bag and drinking beers on a beach with their friend and it was kind of people wanting to reclaim their life after covid and being like oh look and finding like it magical that I can be splashed by a puddle because I'm like a woman in a 2000s rom-com or, I don't know, something like that. But uh, it's yeah. this tendency to see yourself as the main character in your own story. And I just think that it's quite, as an author, I thought you must have an interesting view about this phenomenon, that that's what people are starting to do in order to get by daily life. They're like trying to actively romanticise
2: it. I think it's super interesting. So, I mean, again, I'm 47. Um, and I, so I feel like I'm the kind of person who is not part of book tiktok or book talk but like reads an article in the newspaper about book talk and then is like oh isn't this like in my in my middle-aged way i think like oh isn't this interesting what the people in their teens and 20s are doing so i i I think that what you're describing i mean i'm like dimly familiar with it like this isn't the first time i've heard about it and also the thing where people are like POV like such and such like i mean that's it's so funny because when i was in graduate school for writing 20 years ago you talked about POV i think it's i think it's an interesting phenomenon and i'm something my response would be that i'm curious about if it's putting into words something that's always existed and that technology now kind of allows us to magnify like maybe many people have always felt like the main character in a movie but like they couldn't create a, a little video of themselves on the fly um, or <laughs> is it you know is it is it like a kind of an example of social media like distorting our relationship with reality I don't know I think it's super interesting though I would like to read an article about it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It is interesting, but I think it's also to kind of not get all like Peter Brooksy. But I think it kind of does link with older ideas that the kind of we're pushed stories all the time rather than what's necessarily real. And I wonder if if there's anything if you think we're vulnerable to romanticising our lives, partly due to, like, rom-coms and stories and the fact that, like, every packaging has branding on it that tells you their stories and narratives. And if there's actually anything wrong with that, I mean, do you think that there's a danger that that makes you kind of self-serving? Or is that necessarily a bad thing? I don't know, I'm just interested. As someone who crafts characters.
2: Yeah, I think that's a super... Interesting question. I mean, like again, I think that we always human beings have always told ourselves stories. And if you read, you know, book like whether it's like Yuval Harari's *Sapiens* or you know other similar books, like it'll be like, oh, the the human ability to construct a narrative or tell tell a story is what makes us human and sort of what's made our species dominant. So I think I, I think I would probably come down on the side of technology allows that to be made concrete in ways that probably do increase it. But the, the essential impulse has always been there. and And it's also I mean, <laughs> I don't know how far how far we want to go in this direction, but it's like, what is reality? <laughs> you know, like like I think I think all of us probably do have a distorted relationship to reality. It's just it, you know, is it good distorted? Is it bad distorted? It's it, I mean, it depends like who's who's asking and you know who's observing.
0: Hey there.
1: Something that you do approach in the book, which I think is connected to this idea, is um, the sort of celebrity fever, especially in the States, because Noah is a very famous celebrity and has been for a long time, but he kind of makes no attempts to hide the privileges that come with that, but also the pain of being in the public eye. And just as you said, we've kind of always made stories, we've also made sort of outside public personas for celebrity figures for as long as we've had celebrities like social media or not do you think that like celebrity you know obsession will ever dissipate or is that also something human or is that partly due to current culture and technology and everything
2: i don't see it dissipating anytime soon i mean i don't know why it would and and if anything you know it seems to have reached sort of a feverish pitch like that that only increases and um you know someone can become literally famous overnight in a way that i don't think was quite possible in the past like it's, someone can become quote-unquote the, the main character of twitter or whatever um, <laughs> yeah i mean i don't know it's it's very our, our relationship with with celebrity is very strange but also very interesting to me can you
1: elaborate more what you find interesting about it <laughs>
2: I mean, there's so many things, like, so years ago, I interviewed a professor who basically said, I actually, unfortunately, I cannot remember his name, it'd be um, be better if I could, but he basically said that when two non-famous people are talking about a celebrity, what they're really doing is sort of kind of confirming what they think are behavioral norms and it's it's almost like the celebrity is a vehicle for that. So if we say, oh, you know that um, that celebrity, I don't know what whatever it is, like like had this extreme, you know, cosmetic surgery. Maybe what we're saying, and what we're saying we we wouldn't do that, but like or like we would wear lipstick, but we wouldn't, you know, have like a you know have our butts altered or, or whatever it is um and or like this is how they've handled their divorce and you know maybe we would or wouldn't get divorced or if we did get divorced we would or wouldn't handle it this way so I think there's that element that's like you know using the celebrity as a kind of it's like a uh, yeah like like shared frame of reference which I actually think I like to do as a novelist like I can assume I mean, it's not this isn't conscious, but I can look and see this pattern in my work. Like if I wrote a modern retelling of of Pride and Prejudice, I can assume that a lot of readers have familiarity with Pride and Prejudice. If I wrote an alternate history of Hillary Clinton, I can assume that a lot of readers have familiarity with Hillary Clinton. So I'm kind of saying, let's talk about this thing that we're both familiar with and the same with Certainly people are familiar with the, the phenomenon of dating up even if somebody's not intimately acquainted with the show saturday night live they're they're familiar with you know celebrities and and the breathless coverage of celebrity relationships I think another element of celebrities that's really interesting is which is kind of a magnification of what exists in normal life for all of us is that it's really hard to assess how much a celebrity in their kind of public behavior is being fake or sincere and that turns out to be a really compelling question so if a celebrity posts something on social media did they post that did someone on their publicity team post it you know is it if it has typos does does that is that like likely to make it more authentic (laughs) like are they are we seeing the real you know like or when they're like I woke up like this did they really wake up like that so it's just it kind of I think taps into questions we all have about how much to take other people at face value and how much to disclose about ourselves, And all of that is it's sort of unanswerable, but it's interesting in being unanswerable.
1: I think that's really interesting. And I also think that it's, you know, people always had a public and private self, whether it's their professional front or something like that, or their like with their family in the past but also with social media you everyone has the capacity to almost act like a celebrity in a weird way by having a public persona so the questions that we asked of celebrity a while ago is now something that you can ask of anyone you know is your cousin being authentic online it's not just like Gwyneth Paltrow and um, you talk about that in the book through a different way though when Sally asks about whether her writing self is her most true self or her fake self and um so it's interesting that that's also what you see in celebrities but yeah, also totally. how you're saying that people use celebrities as a way to kind of think about um what's socially acceptable and to talk about contemporary issues with someone else who's not famous but that's also what people use comedy for and i wanted to ask you about how you feel about the limits of comedy at the moment when we live in increasingly politically polarized times and Sally your character is a comedy writer and she kind of uses humor to address like sexism and comedy and lots of political issues and I mean what do you what do you think about it do you think that comedy is more or less suitable in our current climate do you think that there are limits to it is that something that you're interested in
2: I think that that comedy can always be disarming I mean it's it's true certainly in the US and I think in the UK that it's we live in such politically divided countries that any piece of humor is less likely to speak to everyone like it's more likely to speak to roughly half the country than than the entire country but I, I do think there are things that there's like I mean, there's just something that's so wonderful and refreshing about a joke that lands that it can so economically, like, you know, destroy insincerity or disingenuousness or hypocrisy in, in such a kind of like like festive way. So I feel like there's always, you know, room for, for humor. And just rounding off, we've talked about such a range of
1: topics, but while it talks about all these interesting things, the book is fundamentally about a romance between two characters that meet by chance, and you write their like love story so well. it's very believable, and their kind of struggles with someone being anxious and you know insecure it's all quite realistic. but there's a question which gets battered around a bit in the book, which is what the line is between cheese and emotional extravagance and what's a kind of, what's a sign of true love and what's a romantic gesture and what's a bit cliche. And I just wanted to know your thoughts on that and about writing
2: in that sense. I mean, I think that that question is hard to answer because it's like, I, (laughs) on the one hand, somebody else might love something like a song or even like, you know, like, like, you know, is a dozen roses on Valentine's Day? Is that really thoughtful or is that cheesy? I mean, it's <laughs> no, nobody gets to officially decide that that's kind of in the eye of the beholder. Um, but like, I certainly, I know that I like things that other people consider cheesy, especially I think music. So like, I, th- I think that if Noah Brewster really existed, I would like his music. Um, <laughs> and you know, so it's, I, I don't, I think that like, cheesiness is case by case but but also i think i would rather kind of i don't know like okay like this is this is sort of merging the cheesiness and writing question you know like sometimes somebody might write an email like saying you know i so value our friendship or someone might might like a, a recently for some reason i got a, a several emails like like meaning three or something from people who are probably like 15 years younger than I am, who've kind of grown up with my books and like g- gave these kind of heartfelt expressions of like, I read this at this time and, and this comforted me because of this. And I really identified with this. And and it's like, especially because I don't know these people in real life, it could have been totally cheesy, but I was like very touched. And I I would rather be an emotionally open person who airs on the side of Cheese than like a cool person who doesn't. Yeah, I
1: think it's it's cool to be uncool
2: with it as well.
1: Also, you say I think it's Noah says at one point in the book it's that it's cheesy when it happens to other people, but it's romantic when it happens to you. And I think that was quite a perfect way of <laughs> putting it. And it's sort of enjoyable when things fit in and with the romantic comedy tropes. But then when it happens to you, it's like oh my gosh, you know. You kiss someone in the rain. Yeah. It's never <laughs> no one
2: no one has ever fallen in love before. No one's no one's heart has ever fluttered before my fluttered, my fluttered like, <laughs> when I saw you. Yeah, no, totally. I mean, who doesn't aspire to cheese at, at some level? Oh, yeah. Also, life's too short to
1: be too cool for cheese, you know. You might as well just yeah, yeah. enjoy it. But romantic comedy is such a it's such a pleasure to read, but it's it's also fun because you get to think about story that you're being taken along by and thinking about comedy and the structures at play but also they it feels like a very real relationship that exists outside of a novel really so you've done a really wonderful job with it um so thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me and letting me pick your brains about it all um thank you this was fun
0: this episode starred curtis sittenfeld and was produced and presented by esme bright Esme makes this series with me, and we have help from Nicole Wong. Our editor is John Daugherty. If you love contemporary fiction, you'll find much to enjoy in our back catalogue, from Elizabeth Gilbert to Maggie O'Farrell, Isabella Allende to William Gibson. Find it all on your listening app of choice. Until next time, I'm Vas Christodoulou. Thanks for listening.